WrestlePlug 444 Life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to hashtag get plugged in. The refreshing, empowering moment that we have all wanted from WWE. It's like ordering a, a medium pizza and then turning up with an extra large and a bottle of Coke. You absolute moldy cheese fucking baby bell dairy lead dunker shit. What happens is these fucking people live in this fantasy land. Everyone got their shit in. Everyone got each other over. Everyone looked good and made the industry look great. People need to fucking back the fuck off Ronda Rousey. New to oh. wrestling talent. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to 475 podcasts of the Wrestle Club. So exhausted. Because um, <laughs> I've done all of them back to back. That's what you don't realize. I never sleep. Look at this face. Look at it. Oh, WWE Hell in a Cell, as if you haven't already worked that out. I'm very excited to talk about this. And of course, I am Aaron Nix. Joining me on this podcast, which is your last bastion of hope for honesty and hot takes and opinions, is of course the Duke of Diabetes, the Maple Leaf Magician, the Oscar-worthy Ontarian. He's got four times the mic skills oh, the Omega, and he's got a fourth of the insulin, and ultimately, he's got enough to survive, and I'm very thankful for that, because he is my supreme, premier, masterful co-host from Canada, the North's mighty mighty representation Kyle Wilkinson yeah, these are these introductions are getting so grandioso I don't know if I can follow it up I don't know if I can live up to the hype I'm trying Everyone's to get just... it to the level of Kenny Omega on AEW Dynamite last week to that point where it's about 20 minutes long oh but that was bad but yours is good so I it, it I, I accept it I'm, I'm... exactly it's bad you're good I... I'm really pushing the angle that you're better than Kenny Omega because in my opinion you are in every sense like, oh that's going to oh. trigger so many people that probably don't actually yeah. care yeah well who gives a shit like no, I don't hate Kenny Omega I just think he's vastly overrated it just is what it is anyway we're talking about WWE we're talking about Hell in a Cell um we're not going to really go chronologically because there are only five matches stuck into and I only really want to talk about three of them and rant about one of the others which was in the back story of the whole show so let's start with the fact that we finally have the new WWE champion what did I say on the predictions podcast for State of Wrestling Address, I said, as soon as I pick Drew to win, Randy Orton will win the fucking title. And that's exactly what happened. Randy Orton becomes a 14-time world champion after beating Drew McIntyre uh, in a pretty fantastic match, as to be said. It wasn't terrible by any means. It wasn't my favourite Hell in a Cell match of the night, but it's obviously subjective. But I thought all three Hell in a were fantastic regardless. We'll get into that. But yeah, Randy Orton becomes the 14-time WWE champion. Uh, I haven't watched Raw yet. I think you have. I mean, you checked in. Uh, yeah, I kind of like uh, phased in and out. Like a, I had my dinner and then I just kind of laid on the couch. I'm like, yeah, Raw's on. <laughs> like a big meaty armadillo. I assume armadillos lay on sofas and watch wrestling. Um, I would also agree with that. Yeah, why not? That's that's scientific facts. David Amber will back me up. Um, he won't, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, Randy Orton, fourteen-time WWE champion. Are we sad that Drew's no longer champion, or do you think now's the right time to pull the trigger on Randy Orton um, becoming champion again? 
For me, this one is hard because Randy already lost twice, yeah. like in uh, the ambulance match, decisive fashion. Obviously, the match at SummerSlam, it was a roll up. So this, it's it's weird. Like I understand Randy's been in this match like four or five times. A Hell in a Cell match. This was Drew's first time, so I, I understand that. But it's just, it's still a little weird to me. But I mean, Orton's, we've said it a hundred times on this show, Orton's on the run of his career right now. I think he deserves this, which is weird to say, because we always like, oh, Randy Orton at the top of the card. Wow. It's like 2009 with John Cena all over again. Yeah, I saw some people whinging about it and I thought, to be fair, like, if you're going to put it on him, it is, you know, he is in kind of like the hottest streak of his career since he was young. Exactly. Like he's doing incredible work. Maybe we're going to get, you know, he'll probably hold the title to Manius maybe, or whenever edge can come back though. I don't think this, uh, that feud needs the WWE championship. It's the same concept as a Goldberg and Lesnar at WrestleMania 30. What was that? 30, 33. I believe I was going to say 33 when Goldberg beat KO at fast lane for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, uh, Lesnar versus Goldberg is actually really underrated. I went back and watched that because it's only like four and a half minutes, no flim flam, and just a massive amount of collisions. It's actually a lot of fun for a Hoss match. The problem mm-hmm. is that the title was hijacked in the process, which doesn't help. They could have easily done that without the belt, and it would have been fine. Exactly, that's what I say. Like, there's there's just no reason to to put the belt on him. But for now. I'm actually pretty excited for Randy Orton to be champion. He's tied second all time now, just behind uh, Cena and Flair, though I'm pretty sure Flair's had more than 16. I'm expecting trips to go after him at WrestleMania just because his (laughs) ego cannot contain it. Um, Triple H wins a 2021 Royal Rumble. Oh, God. Jason, please spare us that. Vince will hear that. That's a great (laughs) idea. That's got money written all over it. Um, oh, yeah, although no. if you believe the graphic on my screen right now, I'm the WWE champion. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize this was actually going to be so... I had no idea. I just thought, oh, I'll just show off a few pictures so that people can see, but whatever. Um, yeah, no, it was a great match. Um, interestingly enough, apparently, a lot of sources have said that the when Drew comes off the cell, it was inspired by the very first Hen and Cell, which Shawn Michaels, which of course we covered for YouTube recently for a watch, which is nice. Nice little callback. That's my favourite match of all time for anyone who knows me, even the slightest modicum uh, in terms of wrestling. I love that match. I think it's amazing. I, I definitely think this was a great homage to it and a good match in its own right. Uh, it was my favourite match of the night, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it closed the show. And by that point, I'd already been subjected to two world-class Hell in a Cell matches. So, you know, like if this had stood alone, absolutely, I would have adored it. And I still did. I thought it was fantastic. I think Drew has been actually really underappreciated. He had to carry the company as WWE champion with the no crowd era. That is not an easy ask for anybody. To ask somebody in the very first time they, you know, finally climb to the top of the mountain in professional wrestling, to do it in front of no fans, uh, it's a shame, but at the same time, he did such an amazing, admirable job. He's an incredible human being. He's a lovely guy. Uh, he's a specimen. And I really hope that this isn't going to be a one and done and he will get an opportunity again down the line because I feel like, you know, something like him versus Roman, champion versus champion, is a massive collision, something I'd be really excited to see. But I enjoyed uh, the match itself. I'm not angry about one winning. I actually have, I still have edge down to return and capture the WWE title from Randy Orton at WrestleMania. So if that's going to be the case, give it to me. You're going to give me what I want. Um, 
so yeah, could be quite exciting. And also, uh, you know, I, I'm curious as to what they're going to do. Maybe they'll go with team captains, but Survivor Series coming up, they tend to like to do a lot of champion versus champion. Are we going to get Roman versus Randy, possibly? Well, uh, well, it was kind of, yeah, they're doing all the champion versus champion matches, so it, it's all been pretty much announced. So, you know, the WWE champion against the Universal champion, so we could get Randy and Roman. Um, Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn, we've seen that before. This will be different. <laughs> God. Yeah, that's a, um, what else was there? Obviously, Street Profits against the New Day, which I think will be really fun. That could be a world-beating test. That was the match I asked for. I genuinely wanted that match. So for me, that's the match I'll be looking at. To be honest, even if you're not overly keen or you're not going to take it seriously, you can't really complain with like you know, like Roman versus Randy would be fantastic. Like from a you know an icon standpoint, and the tag team match would be amazing. It'd be interesting if NXT has a say or not. Um, uh, they haven't so far. Like they had, a, they actually had qualifying matches on Raw to get on the Survivor really? Series men's team. Huh. The women, they're just like, nah, these women are on the team because, haha, women. Women, uh, they don't need to work. Get on with it, love. <laughs> it's like a classic WWE and Vince McMahon. But yeah, no. Um, wrapping up this match, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. I was a little bit heartbroken to see Drew finally lose the belt. I think he sold it beautifully as well at the end. Just this kind of look of dejection to, to say he finally got me, you know, an acceptance. Also, like the fact they went to the top of the cell. I feel like that hasn't been done for a little while now. And they did it the right way instead of going ridiculously over the top and trying to pull off some crazy caper. It was a little bit telegraphed, obviously, with the footholds in the cell, but the mm. bump was still gnarly. Drew took it really well. And what was nice is he took it in a way that looked gnarly, but was also relatively safe, uh, which is nice to hear. You don't want to hear that, you know, they've taken some crazy bump at the expense of their health. So Randy Orton, 14-time WWE champion, and I wait patiently to see what they're going to do with that. And hopefully... He's going to continue this motivation and we can cap off a fantastic year for Randy Orton at least. Um, yeah, who yeah. In 2020, we'd just be singing the praises of Randy Orton. Yeah, very random, isn't it? It's a little bit, a little bit shell-shocking actually, to be fair. But hey, well, you know, you've got to give him credit when he works hard. You know, we give him all the grief in the world when he's monotone and boring. So when he's putting in the mic work and the work of his life, or give him the love when you have to. On the flip side of things, uh, another new champion from the other brands, the Women's Hell in a Cell. Finally, uh, this rivalry comes to some form of conclusion, at least, well, you know, at least for now. I, uh, I await with bated breath to see how this goes going forward. Uh, Sasha Banks captures the SmackDown Women's Championship and finally ends Bailey's reign of terror in a magnificent Hell in a Cell match. This was right in the middle of the card. Uh, I think this was a excellent physical affair. What did you think about this? Because I think if I'm right in saying this was your favourite match of the evening. It was. It's not just because I find Sasha Banks incredibly attractive in every possible sense, but Fair. just the, the story that they've been telling for like the last two years, this has been the slowest of burns. First, you know, it was going to happen and then they had counseling and then they were going to do it anyway. And then there was like an inferred les then like the inferred lesbian angle or something that happened for like a week. Cause I was just like, Oh, I love you. And people just went, Oh my God, lesbians. I'm like, mm. yeah, I'm not sure that arose in the Yeah. But then tease. <laughs> yeah that's all it was yeah. fucking tease but now 
you know, Sasha finally wins, and it's Bailey's reign of 380 days, I think. Like, mm-hmm. oh, obviously over a year. Am I upset this kind of happened at a B-level pay-per-view and didn't get the big stage it deserves? Yeah, that yeah. Was my point. But at the same time, it was a magnificent match. It was a Hell in a Cell match, which, if we remember right, before gimmick matches happened every month, this was the match to end a, few, a blood feud on. Really? Like, this is where you go, the devil's playground, to just beat the holy shit out of each other. And this was a great way to end it, I guess. I don't know if Bailey will try and come back. They might have some rematches down the line, but... I don't know. This was just, there were so many cool spots. These two work incredibly well together. We've known that since Brooklyn, five years. And now we got it on a big stage mm-hmm. on the cell. But that being said, the match was still fantastic. It was definitely my favorite of the night. Just the story alone just sucked me right in. Yeah, I mean, this was the classic argument for what I've been saying, and I know you've hinted at it as well. This, ins- this insatiable saturation of gimmick pay-per-views. You give us a gimmick Hell in a Cell pay-per-view and it waters down the premise of it because you know when to build for it. You know, it isn't an organic thing. And this is the rivalry out of all of them that deserve to end in Hell in a Cell, but on the biggest stage. You know, it should have been Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania. What a massive, massive moment that would have been. I think WWE almost, I'm getting a real uh, kind of vibe that they've decided that because there are no fans, because we're in a COVID-19 era of wrestling, that each pay-per-view carries its own merit a lot more than it would do if we were just building towards major pay-per-views because even SummerSlam wasn't that long by comparison you think if there had been fans in there they most definitely would have rinsed it for seven or eight hours and you know they've got to keep the the perspective and the they've got to keep the attention span of fans and you can't do that if they're not in the arena as much, which is why a lot of these pay-per-views have been short. This was actually one of their longer efforts, three hours long. They almost treated this. This felt very mania-worthy because all three titles came to a real head, a real collision with really <clears throat> good emotional angles, the three titles that were on the line inside Hell in a Cell. Um, I love this match. There are a couple of things that I, I nitpick at, which is, you know, classic because I'm a big fat smart. But, you know, there was... um. There were a couple of times where I just thought, like, for instance, I thought the Meteora was a bit overkill at times. You know, I think she used it eight or nine times by the end. And I get it. It's a highly effective move. But at the same time, is it if you need nine of them? And also, it just made Bailey look like an absolute monster by the end because she needed so many Meteor. It was like... It was kind of like Lesnar and Reigns in Overdrive, where he just kept hitting him with the F5 and he refused to stay down. Like, and the Spears and the Big Dog and all that kind of stuff. But... Overall, magnificent. The storytelling aspect, like you say, was phenomenal. The psychology between the two women. This was worthy of being inside Hell in a Cell. I do kind of feel like this is a B-level pay-per-view, like you're saying. We have lost out a little bit of the luster. I would have liked to have seen this match take place maybe um, maybe at SummerSlam, if they built a bit earlier. Or wait until next year's Mania, have Sasha Banks win the Royal Rumble. Uh, the thing that worries me as well is the fact that they're both still on the same brand. So there's a very good opportunity for this to continue, which isn't a bad thing. However, I hate the idea of any rivalry continuing after Hell in a Cell. The Hell in a Cell should be the pinnacle of any rivalry. It should be the end. You know, what's the catch line? The end is here. <laughs> you know, not the end is here, at least for the palpable two weeks, and then we shall continue, and the end will be here later on. Like, that's not how this works. So, you know, um, 
but an amazing match and fitting of the rivalry these two have had. Um, I like the clash of it as well. You know, Sasha Banks wearing all white, this kind of grey for it had a real Star Wars S feel to it with the light and the dark. You know, Bailey comes out looking like a Sith Lord in streetwear. I um I uh I popped for it to be honest. I, I questioned, didn't I, whether Bailey might have forgotten her gear, but actually looking back at <laughs> it, it kind of makes sense. Um, that she's wearing all dark and Sasha Banks is in that beautiful white gear. And it was a real contrast. Everything was told so well. The only thing that ruined this match for me, and it didn't ruin it for me, but it pissed me off knowing was Michael Cole's insufferable voice. If you had the over-under at boss time of 500 times it was uttered, then you win. Congratulations, (laughs) a winner is you. Because he just would not shut the Fuck up. And he's like, I said to you as well, because I watched this, didn't I, a lot on repeat while I was chatting to you online. And I just sort of thought, even Corey Graves, who is one of my favourite colour commentators, has been sucked into this stupidity of Michael Cole, where, you know, he spends most of his time either arguing with him or just kind of exacerbating the issues. I, I think Michael Cole is fucking appalling. And I don't understand why but people always defend him and say, yeah, well, Vince is in his ear. I'm sorry, Tom Phillips, Vic Joseph... Mauro Ronaldo, whoever it might be, they were all fucking fantastic, irregardless of whether Vince in their or not. So Michael Cole doesn't have an excuse. And he's been in this company, what, 20 years now? More than that, I think. So yeah, yeah. closer to like 25 or 30, honestly, just right. because like he was still doing stuff in like 99 with The Rock. I think he was doing stuff even like 98, maybe just like backstage announcing and shit. You would think by now he would know, you know, kind of what to do, but. He just pushes these shitty catchphrases on us every single week, and you just want to blow your brains out. Boss in a cell, really unacceptable. I um, it just pissed me off. It really did. It, it was just overkill, you know. Boss, this boss, that. Oh my god, it's boss time on the bus. A boss, a boss, 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 boss. It was like going into overdrive and having a seizure, and it was just unacceptable. And I just thought, shut the fuck up. You are taking away from the magic. I. The idea of a commentator is there to enhance and sell the storyline for you, not to drag you away from how you feel within the moment. Everything should be a perfect storm. And Michael Cole has just become absolute tragedy in a nutshell when it comes to his commentary. I find it insufferable and I find him to be an insufferable little prick as well. And ultimately he blocks me every time I fucking say something about him on social media because he's a butt her vanity searching little monkey. So... Ultimately, fuck Michael Cole. But this match was phenomenal. Sasha Banks is champion. Curious to see what happens. Let's just hope she holds on to it for more than a couple of weeks. Because <laughs> for fuck's sake, even recently when she became Raw champion, she didn't have it very long before everything went south. So, uh, yeah, Survivor Series. Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed that Io Shirai won't be interjected into that, at least not for now. And I think they're making a big mistake if they don't use NXT at Survivor Series because last year's Survivor Series was one of my favourite in recent memory, particularly the modern era, I think, because of that injection. You know, getting that great moment with someone like Keith Lee and Roman Reigns and, you know, uh, seeing Shayna Baszler, you know, sort of really kind of rock up to the party and really make herself, you know, known to the main roster and things like that. They, They did a lot of great things. Uh, building to that. And of course, we've also got Adam Cole versus Pete Dunne sneakily snuck in there for the NXT title and who's going to complain about that. So hopefully, because uh, I really wanted the idea of maybe a returning Karrion Cross beating the shite out of like Randy Orton and Roman Reigns. I would have I would have popped my tits off for that. But speaking of Roman Reigns, 
the Universal Championship was on the line again. Now, I said to you, didn't I, that this was the match that I was going to be emotionally invested in. I knew I was going to be angry. I knew I was going to be bitter. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I got worked a treat. Finally, I can say as a complete mark that I loved a Roman Reigns match because of what I was supposed to love. So coming into this match, the whole idea was, you know, Roman Reigns basically wants to make an example of Jay. You know, he wants to kind of enforce his position as the tribal chief at the head of the table. And this match lived up to a lot of that. Uh, it looks like Roman Reigns is about to kick me in the head, which is quite good fun. Um, <clears throat> this was a masterpiece. This was my favourite match of the night. This was so special. Uh, I loved their match at Clash of Champions. I think the whole pay-per-view was worth the experience just for that match. I think the emotional aspect of this is clearly very raw and almost organic in a, a lot of ways. There was this stunning, stunning moment where Roman Reigns was like pretty much reduced to tears and he didn't know who, you know, he was babbling to himself about how he didn't know who he was and then just kind of went into this evil overdrive. My first second thought, like, oh, maybe they'll have like a, a good family moment. Uh, nope. Just starts beating the shit out of Jimmy. I'm like, oh well, fuck. <laughs> he, he's he's gone now. He's gone forever, folks. I was genuinely like close to crying at a lot of points in this match, where I was just sucked into it. I don't do that very often. I'm not very emotional when it comes to wrestling. And like uh, when he was just consistently like that moment right there, when he drop kicked the steel stairs into his head, but he still wouldn't say I quit, and he was just like screaming at him and I was just like I was literally like just babbling I was like please don't say it. I quit Jay I love you so much like the Usos of me are um, I think at this point now my favourite uh, wrestlers probably of the modern era I have loved their run ever since they turned heel and then just became uh, de facto incredible kind of tweeners because of that their rivalry with the New Day they had uh, for me uh, the second greatest Helen Cell of all time in my opinion that tag team title match with the New Day I think that was a magical masterpiece of Helen Cell and you know from my perspective at least and with all things being subjective uh, had everything that I've ever wanted from Helen Cell and this right here for me jumps into the top three and is almost on a par with that as one of the all-time great Helen Cells um which is lovely to say because of the watered-down process of the gimmicks and that you would think that you couldn't really consider any of these Hell in the Cells up there with Shawn Michaels or Mankind or whatever it might be, but these Hell in the Cells have actually been of the highest quality. Um, this match was something that I was invested in from the start to the finish. I was very emotionally involved. I hated Roman Reigns' guts by the end of it. And for the first time, I hated him because I felt like I'm supposed to hate him because that's exactly what he's supposed to do. He came across as this masterful heel. His in-ring talking has been world-class in this rivalry. I cannot express how good he has been at making you feel the way he just consistently berates and the way he's trying to kind of say, like, you know, I'm the one putting food. And I say, why are you doing this? Just stay down. Why don't you quit? If you don't quit, I'm going to make this worse for you. I'm going to make this, you know, darker for you. Even Paul Heyman at points really, you know, he's a... He's kind of at ringside. He's appearing for the cell and he's like, this is, you know, he's even saying like, this has gone too far. And Roman Reigns is like, you shut your mouth. This this goes as far as I need it to go. Um, everything, every moving mechanism, every working part of this match from a psychological to a physical standpoint was world class. This is for me, Roman Reigns' greatest match of all time. <laughs> this is what signifies for me, Roman Reigns as like, if Roman Reigns had had this at Helen, um, you know, at WrestleMania as a main event, my God. 
people would have lost their minds. It's kind of, uh, again, we, you know, we're left with that sad kind of disposition of, oh, you know, it's a shame that the fans themselves aren't there in attendance to see this work in person. Because I think, you know, especially when he returned and, you know, became more of a heel, I think fans would have lost their fucking mind for that shit. And I think they would have particularly enjoyed this and they would have found themselves just completely in awe of what the Usos have done as well. I think everybody comes out of this looking like a world-class superstar. And I think the Usos, I couldn't believe that they could possibly be elevated further, but they have been. Jay Uzo feels like a main event level single star now. You know, he, I wouldn't be completely overhauled by the idea of him challenging a Randy Orton or a Drew McIntyre or something like that for a WWE title. He now feels legitimate. And I'm assuming that coming out of this with Roman Reigns retaining the Universal Championship, that we're going to get some sort of... Obviously, they're going to be indentured servants, Rob. I think what the main kind of end game for this is the Usos eventually kind of just getting on side with Roman and there being this unbelievably destructive Samoan SWAT team kind of force. But also as well, you know, it shouldn't be understated this... uh, you know, it's supposed to be a beautiful moment, but for me, it actually felt like it just it infuriated me further. Afra and Sika coming down, of course, the family of the Anawai <clears throat> tribe, so to speak, kind of the heads of the table. Very traditional as well, which is cool. You know, WWE doesn't always have that kind of traditional nature. These guys come down, they adorn him with the, the lay, so to speak, and kind of say, you know, you're now at the head of the table. I love the fact that Paul Heyman kind of like gives the thing and he's like, get out of the shop quickly so I don't ruin the photo opportunity. <laughs> you know? um, everything, all the moving parts work beautifully. This was magical. And the fact they opened the show was actually a little bit shell shocking for me because the rest of the show, although it was pretty fucking good, I, I kind of still, by the end of it, was a little bit shook by this. And I think maybe that, just from my perspective, took away a little bit from the other two, Helen and Cells, which was still world class but this is definitely my match of the night and I genuinely like I'm not very moved by wrestling these days this was one of the few times in recent memory that I truly remember feeling quite moved actually and quite drawn into the storyline and genuinely feeling like I felt like I needed to shed a tear for Jimmy and Jay and it's that bit Jimmy has been fantastic in a much smaller role you know the way he's like reaching his hand out he says whatever's going you know, whatever's going on with you, we can fix this. I can, you know, we can help you. We're still family. We can overcome all of it. And then he chokes him out. I was like, you fucking bastard. I was so angry. I was like, why? Why would you do that to him? Especially as he's got an injury. And to be fair, that was the one time where Michael Cole wasn't too insufferable. And he was like, what the hell are you doing? He's kind of bad me. And I was like, you're fucking right, yes. Let go of him. I was like so angry. And I was such a mark for the whole process. And for me, at 35, to be able to be a complete sweaty mark for it all shows exactly how special it was. So, bravo, gentlemen. Another, to be honest, I feel like you've had two five-star matches. I really do. And Jey Uzo um, will go down as one of the all-time great essence actually when it's all said and done with his brother I think I think Usos have catapulted themselves into a Hall of Fame category now I mean the fact that we're calling this Roman's best match which I don't think I could argue with I think it also just solidifies this reign I mean like yeah he beat Braun Strowman and the Fiend in a triple threat whoopee he beat Braun so bad sent him scurrying off to Raw like a little baby back bitch wow but these two matches with Jay have just the he has brought Jay up to his level. 
which I think is a testament to Roman because he is, he's been a main event star forever, you know, whether people liked it or not, he has been, but he's brought honestly, probably both the Usos up to this level, because like you say, Jimmy's had this incredible supporting role. Like, yeah, I'm still injured, but I'm still going to come out, you know, try and save my brother and shit. I mean, sure. He's cost Jay the title twice. If you really want to think about it, but like, it's just proving that, you know, the Usos value family over, you know, accomplishments, which is something like really speaks to me because I'm a really family oriented person. But now we've got these two guys at a main event level. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, he'll probably use the Usos to help him beat the WWE champion at Survivor Series. Because as far as I know, I think Jimmy is also a servant now. Yeah, I think yeah. Paul Heyman's like, whatever you do, you know, your brother's coming down to Hardy Who. So he's, yeah, I think we're going to say Hardy Who because that would have been did. really funny. Just, just Hardy Who. Yeah. I just like the idea that Paul Heyman was like, Hardy Who? What the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Cruz, I like, what? Uh, that would have been good fun for me. But yeah, no, I, um, I, I actually, I, the only thing I disagree with is that I actually feel that Jay Uzo is responsible for bringing Roman Reigns up over there. And I know that's me being quite biased because I'm an Uzo fan. I don't think anyone else other than Uzo's could have got Roman to this level and brought this kind of emotional context out of him. So as much, because obviously everyone's going to use this as an argument of, see, Roman Reigns is a star. Nobody's ever questioned that. It's always been about his booking and the decisions of WWE management. They were obsessed with forcing him down our throats as a baby face when he's just sitting there waiting to break out as this evil, maniacal Samoan heel. And... To be honest, it took the Usos to get that emotional range out of him. Before then, he just hadn't had the emotional range. But his promos have been tenfold better than anything he's done before. Even when Cena was trying to push him, you know, and really try and trigger him in that little faux rivalry they had for a little while. It just never felt realistic. It never felt organic. It never felt like he was truly in it for the long haul. That His heart was there and his spirit was there. And it is now. And a lot of that's to do with what the Usos have done. The Usos' facial acting, you know, they're that's like film-level, TV series-worthy, proper acting, you know? Like, they look like genuine actors, and Roman as well. The tears, the emotion, the rage, the emotional range that they displayed in this rivalry was masterful. And, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see where this goes because I know it's going to anger me further because I know he's going to treat him like shit for a long time and that will infuriate me because I feel like Yuzo should be at the top of everyone's card. But that's exactly what he should do. And that's exactly what he should do to drag me in because I know ultimately if they turn on him or, you know, we get this super destructive Samoan SWAT team going forward, that I'm going to pop my tits off for it. So, you know, I'm all in on this. Yeah, I think family can obviously bring the best out of you. And these three gentlemen have just done fantastic things. I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> this is more reason to watch SmackDown. Cause I remember when we did the review of the draft, we're like SmackDown got fucking shafted. We're the only ones who thought that as well. Do you know, it's interesting. I went on social media. Everyone thinks SmackDown got it much better and that raw only got the fiend, but <clears throat> I haven't seen raw last night, excuse me, but um, last week, I thought Raw was absolutely spectacular. And it's more difficult for me to access uh, SmackDown than it is Raw, so maybe that's why. But I, I'm really all in on Raw. I think it's a fantastic show. And I do believe that SmackDown did get the shorter end of the stick a certain way. But SmackDown has the rivalries that Raw doesn't and they're already built in. And that's what SmackDown does have, that women's title match, you know, that women's rivalry and this Universal Championship angle. 
they kind of dwarf anything that Raw has been able to create so far. Yeah, I mean, other than uh, Drew and Randy, like, there's nothing that's really even close. I mean, sure, we still have, you know, KO and Debray on SmackDown, so that's reason enough. But this rivalry right here, like, Roman Reigns as the figurehead, you know, sitting at the head of the table, this is enough to get me to watch on Fridays. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Uh, a masterful, masterful match. Look forward to seeing what it does going forward. Uh, the rest of it was just a bit of a mishmash, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I didn't watch Elias versus Jeff Hardy. I pretty much blitzed through that. I'm told that Jeff Hardy won by DQ. I, I'm not interested in a match like that, or Elias won by DQ because Jeff Hardy hit him with a guitar. I don't care. Um, you watched the whole pay-per-view, actually. Was there anything really worthy of note from that match? Um, just Elias showing his album that came out yesterday. Like the, That's about it. Like It's... I don't care. We all know that Jeff Hardy didn't run him over. Like, there's it just makes Elias look like kind of a fucking idiot a bit, doesn't it? Because it's like, yeah, it was a big white dude with red hair and a ginger beard. Oh, I wonder who that could be. Couldn't be the fella over there. No, heaven forbid, it's got to be this druggie because we got to make sure he drinks and stuff. Yeah, right. Because he's a junkie. (laughs) Like, I just. Do you know what? I haven't cared about Elias for the longest time. I don't get why everyone's so obsessed with him. They think he's been, I, I find him boring. I think he's, you know, he's a reasonably good entertainer to a certain extent. I think Elias's gimmick is 20 years too late. I think actually that's the biggest problem here. I think that he belongs in a different era. He belongs in like an NWA from back in the day or something like that. Um, where it wasn't all about just being a world-class in-ring worker because he's not a fantastic in-ring worker. He's okay. There's nothing wrong with his in-ring game. It's just it's just tedious. I don't care. I really don't. Um, I also don't care about Mustafa Ali being made to look like a total bitch. <laughs> like, they, they've, they've already kind of shit the bed, haven't they, with retribution in the way that they, um, the way that they kind of want them to feel at one point they felt like until Mustafa Ali ironically tipped up they felt like this dangerous you know faction that could strike at any time now it's almost like the Hurt Business slap them around and we had this kind of random impromptu match Bobby Lashley versus you know Slap Nuts or Slapjack or whatever you fucking call them these days like Aaron Cruz's favorite wrestler like and, yeah, I don't care about that either. That was a pointless match. That could have easily been on the pre-show. I hear that apparently Drew Gulak and R-Truth was on the pre-show, which I've watched it now because I reckon that was hilariously good fun. But um, I, I don't care. I really don't care. And the more that they make Ali look like this whingy, insufferable twat who needs to keep running away, that it's ruining Retribution very quickly. And this could be argued to be one of their stronger rivalries if they do it properly. And something that people are going to be investing in on Raw, and ultimately they're just having Ali keep running away like a little toolbox. And I don't like that because I feel like he's got more to offer. And he's got way too many guys at his disposal to keep running away and keep getting slapped around by the Hurt Business, who I like as well. I like the Hurt Business. But, you know, this needs more aggression and more emotional context. But I don't care. And I didn't care about the match either. Also, it was no. right the main event, and it was right in between two world-class Hell in a Cell matches where nobody gives a shit. Everyone's sitting there going, you know, this was solely there to warm you down a bit so you could then bring yourself back up for Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. <laughs> I don't care. No, and I mean, once you watch Raw, you'll find out it's going to get worse. Oh, God. But, no. I'll probably watch Raw after this, so I'll have it on in the background or something. The, the, the only match that... Yeah, that this one didn't matter... 
Elias and Jeff Hardy didn't matter. And Otis and The Miz. Called it. Months ago. Called it. Now, Months ago. I told you. Tuck it. I knew he was going to do something. I knew he was going to sh- be a shit bag. Yeah. But yeah, have at it, mate, because this is probably what I'm going to end the show on is a monstrous rant about the failings of what has happened here with this rivalry. I should be happy that The Miz has the Money in the Bank briefcase. He's a brilliant talker. He's been, you know, he's been with the company 15 years. He's a previous Money in the Bank winner. He's still does incredible stuff with John Morrison, even if they're not being utilized to their fullest extent. I think Jomo's return has been a little lackluster, honestly. I think he hasn't had a chance to show off all the stuff he can do like he had in Lucha Underground and Impact. Maybe they'll get there eventually. Maybe they won't. But I don't care because my boy Otis has been left dead on the fucking ground. Okay. He won. Sure. He won the Money in the Bank briefcase in a comedy fluke kind of way. You know, AJ and who else was at the top? I don't remember. Was it Daniel Bryan? I, don't remember. Been, I think it was AJ and it might have been Baron Corbin actually. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they're up there arguing, like, you know, tug of war with it. It falls off the hook. Otis just catches it and goes, Take it. <laughs> yeah. And then just like, I mean, that was fun. The little lunchbox he had with it was great. Otis got himself over it. It was like an organic getting over. Like, he wasn't forced down our throats. People just were in love with him. And WWE went, Hey, okay, maybe we should do something with this guy. He wins money in the bank. And does nothing with it. I think, I think in our heart of hearts, we all knew he was never gonna win the big one, yeah. but it, it was still a really magical moment. You know, he had the briefcase, he had Mandy Rose, he had his best friend, he was on top of the world, and then it all came his, crashing down. And it definitely hurts inside. That should be the next thing. Kentucky should just be uh, Otis on the next episode of like, I think he's on SmackDown, isn't he? Otis, like, he should just be sat there, like, just (laughs) rocking back and forth, like, holding onto his little lunchbox. (laughs) Yeah, get him singing a boiler room and then he goes crazy we get like a mankind <laughs> mankind version of otis i think that could yeah, be hilarious but I, um, this I tuck, feel- tucker turn honestly does mm. nothing he's gonna do nothing oh, he's I'm gonna just, get lost this kills off tucker at the same time which is dumb because not like he's okay you know big unit of a guy he's actually not too bad on the mic i feel like he was really underappreciated in the build-up to otis getting with mandy because he was like you know the wingman he was doing a lot of talking for otis people forget that because they're all just having a laugh at you know the crazy fat guy (laughs) but um i just i don't give a shit about like what's he gonna do like once he's got the inevitable clash with otis out of the way great now what what, are we going to get... He'll end up being a guy who chases our truth down the corridor on Raw. That's oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> that's that's his ceiling. And I don't want that to be the case, but I feel like it will. But my biggest problem here is that... Do you know what? Why did you put the fucking briefcase on Otis in the first place? You wanted to capitalise on the, you know, the, the, the feel-good moment was him getting with Mandy Rose. Don't bother putting a case on him then. Put it on, like, have AJ Styles actually win the goddamn thing? Or there were so many other options they had in that match. You could have won it. You could have elevated Alistair Black, for instance, who was in that match. Instead, you tried to throw him off the roof. Um, <laughs> Baron Corbin, the fucking rooftop murderer. 
Two counts of attempted murder and no con uh, no conviction. Okay, uh, he's a, he a king, and ultimately, if you do respect the monarchy status, then you know you can't really try a monarch unless it's mutiny of some sort. So you know, I um I appreciate that, but I do you know what pisses me off? This briefcase right here is being watered down now. It doesn't mean anything because apparently you can just win it on a whim. This idea that it's available and, you know, also he was made to put, you know, the court of law segment. I know you thought it was funny and I, I there were little bits of it I thought were amusing. I don't mind comedy, but not when it jeopardizes the credibility of your bigger titles and your bigger assets. The money in the bank briefcase is important. So having it as this hysterical prop for the Miz and John Morrison to, you know, take away from Otis putting it on him in the first place and not then giving him the opportunity to, you know, at least cash it in, even if he loses. It's just fucking embarrassing. Do you know what happened here? Vince McMahon noticed, uh, he's funny, he's fat. Oh, that's funny. Put the briefcase on it. If he catches it, it'll be hilarious. Shot, such good shit. And then about three weeks later, he realized, oh, wait a minute. People like Otis shouldn't be with Mandy Rose. People like Otis shouldn't have friends. Vince probably sits there and goes, you're a fat piece of shit. I hate fat people. They're weak. They sneeze. I hate sneezing. You suck. I hate you, Otis. And now all of a sudden, Otis is getting buried. He's lost his tag partner. Great. That does nothing for either guy. Otis can kind of carry himself a little bit as a singles guy, a little bit more than Tucker, just because he has that kind of momentum from the fans behind him. The only way Otis will survive this is if we as fans ultimately rally around him like we did Daniel Bryan. That's the only way you're going to get something out of Otis, I think, going forward. It does nothing for him. Heavy Machinery is now gone. That's one less tag team. You know, Tucker is a heel. Who gives a shit after he's dealt with Otis? Mandy Rose will probably end up dumping Otis, which is pointless. They're both on a separate brand anyway. Otis is left alone. And unless he finds, I don't know, a new friend, like, for God's sake, you could have at least put him on Raw and have Tucky on SmackDown or something and have him, like, you know, you could have at least had him running around with R-Truth and Drew Gulak and Akira Tozawa. You can't tell me you wouldn't have at least found that amusing and funny having Otis interjected in that. <laughs> dumpster dive for the belt going, oh, yeah. <laughs> he just coming out of the dumpster going, oh, yeah, with a 24-7 title. Like, it would have at least been funny and we would have at least found him charming. There's no upside to this other than the Miz being money in the bank holder, but he won it in the shittest way possible. And, you know, now we're looking at it thinking, okay, he's on Raw, right? So I don't believe that the Miz is going to be able to knock off Randy Orton. Not a chance in hell. Like, that just, you know, the Miz is great. I love him. He's fantastic. If he had won the money in the bank outright, I would have been okay with it. I would have thought that was a good decision because I feel like The Miz has still so much to offer. But at the same time, they've watered him down. He's become this kind of, you know, comedy element once again with John Morrison. I feel like John Morrison has kind of reached a, a kind of point now where I just think whatever. Um, and I'm just disappointed. I'm a little bit over The Miz now as the character that they presented. So to put the money in the bank on him now just feels a bit disingenuous and a bit shitty and at the you know what pisses me off is you've now jeopardized so many moving parts mandy rose is now separated from otis which made her more relatable and likable to an audience otis has lost the love of his life so to speak even though they're technically i'm sure they'll probably been that off in the next couple of weeks tucker is no longer part of 
heavy machinery. You know, they've separated them. So you haven't got a tag team. Otis is left alone on a brand. Tucker's going to eventually be on his own on a brand. There's so many moving parts here that feel really shitty. And this is the only downside to what was an excellent pay-per-view. I'm happy that the Miz is the Money in the Bank champion. I'm sure if he does cash it and if he somehow does win, he'll be great and entertaining to a certain extent. But for fuck's sake, I just think it's such a disappointment that you've made the Money in the Bank a comedy gimmick. And ultimately, the Money in the Bank ladder match, both people who won it will never get a chance to cash in. So, you know, the whole premise of that pay-per-view has been watered down. The whole premise of the briefcase has been watered down because apparently you can have a fake, hilarious court of law segment, Otis and Law. Um, the only thing that I found amusing about that, by the way, was the thing where they go, doom, doom, and then I'm just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, I thought that was really funny. I just take a piss out of law and order, but you know, and yeah, I do get that as well. But yeah, I, I just think this is a big swing and an awful miss, and you have jeopardized a lot of moving parts with it. So yeah, I'm just very, very frustrated, and it'll take a hell of a lot of damage control to fix all of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it all right. I loved Otis, he's just such a fun guy. Like I said, we all knew he wasn't going to win, but it was still Super cool relatable. to have him. exactly. But and it was cool that he won it. And then they just, they're like, nope, drop of a dime, taking it away from him. Because th- I don't think they believed in him in the first place. They just did it in the spur of the moment. And now he's going to suffer for it. Tucker's going to suffer for it. I mean, I don't even think the Miz is really going to gain a lot. Sure, he has the briefcase where everyone's going to go, yeah, he just won it in a match after, you know, Tucker hit Otis in the head with the lunchbox. Or it might have been the briefcase. Doesn't matter. Wow. I, I don't know, man. Like the only thing I can, the only weird parallel for me here is, you know, 10 years ago, I saw this online. I don't remember who said it, but you know, Randy Orton was champ in 2011 and then Miz had the briefcase and then <laughs> cashed in and won it. Can you imagine if they do it again, 10 years later, <laughs> the Miz just floors Randy Orton with a skull crashing finale. Not in 2021. I, I can't see it. If they do it great, but uh, I don't see it happening. Uh no, um, one very sour point to a very, very good baby. I thought overall Helen Zell was fantastic. Uh, it's a shame, actually, that all three of those incredible rivalries somewhat came to an end at a B-level pay-per-view. However, you got to say that since the beginning of these gimmick shows, and I think this is probably the best Helen Zell pay-per-view that I've seen, I think, in terms of quality, uh, helped by the fact that it was stacked on the top end with great matches. And the undercard was pretty forgettable. Um, even Otis versus The Miz wasn't an amazing match. It was just the outcome of it that frustrated so many people. And like I said, I, I did kind of call it rather sadly. And I hate saying that because it's such a shitty thing to say. But, like, you know, it, it was going to happen eventually. And it's just sad that it happened now, you know, and took away all of his moving parts. So, yeah, great. Um, but, yeah, no, ultimately a very emotional and very responsive night. And, again, WWE puts on a fantastic pay-per-view in a very difficult time. The Thunderdome has actually worked out quite well, I think, as an experiment. I think overall there's been um, plenty to get involved in. I think all three shows have something that's worth tuning in for now, um, which is something that you can't honestly say has been the case for a long time running now. You know, there's there's moving parts. There's The Fiend and Alexa Bliss, which is always must-watch on Raw. You know, NXT is a lights out for me, one of the best wrestling shows period right now in the world it's phenomenal uh smackdown has got two of the best working rivalries and no doubt is going to frustrate and bring people along for an emotional roller coaster involving the anawai family so 
yeah, there's loads of great moving parts. And obviously we move towards Survivor Series, which may be a little bit of a gimmicky kind of pay-per-view in the sense of it's just brand warfare now. But we're going to get some dream matchups. And whenever something like Street Profits and New Day is on a card, I will pay attention. And I am so excited about the possibility of what they can do in promos. Because if uh, the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders were hilarious enough, imagine what it's going to be like when you chuck the New Day in there. Like, this could genuinely be well cut. And also... You know, don't forget the fact that Big E is on SmackDown. So the idea that he might kind of get involved and piss around with the Street Profits or whatever, you could get uh, many moving parts here. So there's a lot to look forward to. Um, but yeah, Hell in the Cell, great pay-per-view. A five-star match for me in Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. And the other two were definitely four, four and a half minimum anyway. This was a world-class pay-per-view in terms of the gimmicks that were put forth. And I look forward to Survivor Series. Yeah, this was uh, it was still a B show, but it was a very good B show. I very much enjoyed it. All three match uh, cell matches specifically delivered, and the other three fillers were, I think, just there to break up the cell matches. That's why they existed. But yeah, now we have Survivor Series, where don't forget this is the only time a year where Raw and SmackDown go head to head, except every other day for ratings and merch sales and all that stuff. And when storylines are just ground to a halt, because if you're all on the red brand, you're all friends now, because that's just how they like to do it. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we could do a live viewing of it, get in another Zoom meeting and just uh, maybe not do a reaction video so much at like an afterword, but just, you know, record ourselves watching it. That could be fun, too. If you guys want that, hit us up. Let us know, because I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, leave a comment, like, subscribe, all that jazz. Hopefully you've enjoyed this little coverage as well. Obviously, uh, if you are only watching this on YouTube or if you want to check out the audio experience, that's still available too. So it will always be available wherever you get your podcast, like Spotify, Podbean, and the like. Plenty of other places that you can access this podcast, audio only. And also, obviously, the video is available via YouTube. So hopefully... Um, giving you guys a little bit more access means that a little bit more of an opportunity to check us out in different ways so let us know if you are enjoying the zoom things because if you're not i'm quite happy to take my face off a camera <laughs> that doesn't really bother me but obviously uh feedback is what we're up for and obviously if you've got any opinions on hell in a cell the forthcoming shows impact whatever it might be uh let us know and like carl says really good idea maybe live streaming our watch alongs and you know letting people uh see what we think as well of the shows as we watch them so the only way, really, for you guys to get all the content that you want is by letting us know that you want it. Simple as that. But from myself, Aaron X, and from Carl Wilkinson, one of the other. But see, on my screen is that one, but I'm probably pointing the other way. Okay. But either way, from myself, Aaron X, and from Carl Wilkinson, thank you very much for joining us for our Hell in the Cell review. We'll be back very soon for more content from the WrestleBlog. <laughs>